Tonight's talk is titled, Receiving and Giving with a Heart in Touch with Reality. And I'd like to start with a poem by Mary Oliver. Many of us find her to be a favorite poet. It's called Philip's Birthday. I gave to a friend that I care for deeply something that I loved. It was only a small, extremely shapely bone that came from the ear of a whale. It hurt a little to give it away. The next morning, I went out as usual at sunrise, and there in the harbor was a swan. I don't know what he or she was doing there, but the beauty of it was a gift. Do you see what I mean? You give and you are given. So receiving and giving, there are two sides of, of the same coin. They're both about an open heart that recognizes the flowing nature of life and the generous nature of this universe. So I like that last line, you give and you are given, that kind of flow. I also like the line, uh, it hurt a little bit to give it. Points to um, generosity as a practice for most of us. So yesterday I gave a version of this talk um, to the Sangha in Northampton, over where near where I live. And um, yesterday I had a, a number of things to do, and part of them preparing to come here. And one thing I meant to do was um, I had some purple fingernail polish on that I'd put on with my goddaughter, and um, I thought perhaps I should take it off before I came to the forest refuge. <laughs> might be a little bit wild for <laughs> the sedate nature of this place. <laughs> but I got busy and I forgot. So um, I was in Northampton right before I was giving this talk in the evening. And I realized that I had forgotten to take it off. So I thought, OK, do I have time to find a drugstore and get some nail polish remover? So I went to CVS, and it was closed. And then I had to go to the talk. And then I certainly didn't want to go looking for somewhere afterwards, because I needed to get here. So I thought, well, I guess I'll just leave the purple fingernail polish and entertain the yogis. Um, so then I, we went to, I gave the talk in this uh, um, Aikido dojo just for one night. They were using this dojo because they were doing the floors where they usually have the talks. So I mentioned it to one of our Sangha members, my predicament. And uh, so she, uh, during the break, she went to the bathroom. She came out and she said, Rebecca, there's this huge bottle of fingernail polish right on the counter in the bathroom. <laughs> Now, what is a huge bottle? I mean, it was this big. A huge bottle of fingernail polish remover doing in a bathroom in a dojo. I just found that really interesting. You give and you are given. So I thought about whether uh, it violated the second precept or not to use it, because we want to be careful with our sila, right? But it was right out there in the open, and uh, I figured it was all right, so no no purple fingernail polish for you all today. But I liked how it illustrated that. 
kind of the, um, that we are really receiving all the time in our lives. I think we often don't recognize it. But when we start to pay attention to receiving and to gratitude, we start to notice that we're always being given what we need over and over again. So originally this was going to be a talk about generosity. I usually talk about generosity and then at the end talk about gratitude. And I actually often don't even have time to get to gratitude. I'll even make a a small confession that um, a, a number of years ago I used to think that the quality of gratitude, while it was a nice quality, was a little bit fluffy. I kind of thought it was maybe something extra for people to cultivate who um, maybe weren't serious about deep practice or something like that. This is a confession. This isn't a great thing. Um, But over the years, I've really come to deeply appreciate this quality and to see how the quality of gratitude is deeply in line with the truth of how things are, deeply in line with wisdom and the Buddha's teachings. So I thought maybe um, I would start with gratitude instead of generosity. And then basically I had so much to say about gratitude that this time generosity kind of, um, there probably won't be time for that. But in some ways it doesn't matter because to me the two qualities are so intricately linked that when you talk about one, you do talk about the other. Giving and receiving, or receiving and giving. Gratitude is such a deep spiritual quality because it acknowledges our interdependence. It acknowledges that we're deeply connected and that we are not, um, that we can't make ourselves separate from the web of life. And I thought maybe for many of us it's, it's important to understand gratitude and to embrace gratitude and how much we are constantly receiving as a way to lessen the force of clinging in the mind and to realize our interconnectedness and then it naturally leads to giving. So that's the reality. The reality is that we're deeply connected, interconnected with each other, with all aspects of of this universe. And we're being given to all the time We can notice this even with each breath. With each breath, we're receiving oxygen from the universe. We're being given life with each in-breath. And with each out-breath, we're giving back. We're giving back carbon dioxide, which the trees and the plants need. So we're giving to the trees and the plants each time we breathe out. And each time we breathe in, the trees and the plants are giving to us. So how do we miss this? How do we miss that, that we're so interconnected? 
I think it would have to be because we don't see deeply enough. We see only on the surface. And with practice, we get to see more deeply. I also think that we have um, kind of the dominant uh, cultural conditioning in this country, the kind of dominant paradigm, um, really reinforces a sense of independence and um, not acknowledging interconnectedness and interdependence. And often I think we don't see this, especially, I mean, sometimes we'll see it like if we travel outside of the country, but when we live in um, deep cultural myths and conditioning, sometimes we have a hard time seeing it. It's like the ocean we swim in. It just seems like the way life is. And so we have this kind of um, the American myth that we're all self-made and that uh, who we are and what we have depends on our own um, efforts only, our own will, what we make of ourselves. And included in that is kind of um, a cultural paradigm again that if we want something, we should go out and get it. And that we should maybe have a little concern for others, but not too much, not if it gets in the way. And I'm not saying that we're all like this. Of course, we're not all like this. Um, but there, but there, it's it's a flavor, uh, kind of in our cultural conditioning. It's like a major shared cultural delusion. So I think that affects our um, our not seeing the deep interconnectedness and the deep seeing of of gratitude, of receiving, dispels this myth that we're independent and our lives depend solely on our own efforts. So thinking again about uh, interconnectedness and interdependence, let's start with a common object that many of us have. a car. And so on the surface, we can say that um, we earned money and we went out and we bought a car. So that's the surface level and um, it's like we did it, right? But then when we look deeply into the nature of how that car came to us, the causes and conditions, uh, we can see that it's not so simple. I mean, it's so complex, I could talk about it for an hour and not finish, but just even starting with a tire of a car, um, the causes and conditions to bring together a tire of a car, um, you know, the, the oil or whatever makes the tire. I said rubber last night, and then I realized I don't think they make it out of rubber trees anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the oil and the people who harvest the oil and transport the oil and and put it together, and, um, and then the sun and the rain that supports the food that feeds those people, and, um, and then the people who transport uh, the, the tires to the car place. And, I mean, you just could go on and on. And the minerals of the earth that go into the car make the steel. 
So when we look deeply, we see that many causes and conditions came together. A certain generosity brought the car to us. Or then if we look at, if, if for example, we have money to pay for the car, where did that money come from? So we maybe had a job and, and uh, all the people in our job and, and all the people who paid those who then paid us. And we really can't uh, find the end of this web. So then we can appreciate and feel gratitude for, for how we're sustained through a car, just a car. The Buddha said that there's two kinds of rare people. Uh, one are pure givers, givers who give with very pure motivation, and two um, acknowledgers of giving, those that feel gratitude, that acknowledge giving. And so gratitude is that acknowledgement of giving. It's the ability to see and receive the blessings that come our way with an open heart. So gratitude is that appreciation of gifts. It's really a shift in perspective. It's a shift from lack to, from seeing lack to seeing what is given and received. I think gratitude is a quality that's natural for a heart that's open and generous. But when aversion and greed are present, then um, it's hard to feel gratitude. It's blocked. When there's aversion in the mind, we tend to see problems, lack, difficulty. When greed's in the mind, there's that contraction and we can't fully... Um, receive blessings. We can't fully experience blessings. Gratitude is also a relief. It means that we're not alone, that we're sustained and nourished by the universe. It's a great practice to heal a sense of alienation. There's a a saying, an Ojibwa saying, sometimes I go about pitying myself and all the time I am being carried on great winds across the sky. That recognition of receiving, I'm being carried by great winds across the sky. Gratitude humbles us, but in a gentle way. We recognize, as I said, our interdependence that all that we have and are has come through others. So it's a kind of anatta teaching, that teaching of not separate self. 
And it humbles us because um, with gratitude, we don't overestimate ourselves. We don't overestimate ourselves believing in the myth of our independence, thinking that we are alone, responsible for our successes. But gratitude also helps us not underestimate ourselves. We see that we are part of a great web, that we belong in this web. There's a, um, from the time of the 60s, this well-known, I guess it's a poem called Desiderata, and a few sentences I actually, my father um, loved to do $1 contests when I was a child. And we had eight kids in the family. And whoever could memorize the whole poem first got a dollar. And I did it. And so I remember most of the lines. And one of the lines is, um, you are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And I think gratitude can teach us that, too, when we see the great web of life that sustains us. With gratitude, we let go of unworthiness and allow ourselves to receive with an open heart. So without gratitude, um, we're lonely in our little self-absorbed cocoon. And without acknowledging all that we receive, we're more likely to see the world through um, our own uh, self-centered concerns. And we're more likely to minimize the impact of our actions on others. You could say to objectify others. We can see this now in um, the global lack of gratitude for this planet, this planet that ceaselessly gives us gifts, the rain and the sun and the earth and food, the wind, the flowers, the trees, the animals, ceaselessly gives. And you can see that, um, that globally, in, we're experiencing a lack of connection to that. And because of the lack of connection, a lack of gratitude. And because of a lack of connection and gratitude, um, self-centered, self-centered concerns predominate in our attitude towards this earth. And there's not an acknowledgment of the harm that we do. When we feel gratitude, we find that we naturally want to um, nurture and sustain and protect our environment. It's like it's part of ourselves. We wouldn't want to harm ourselves. We wouldn't want to harm the environment or the, our, our whole, the whole web around us. And we can see this in societies that um, 
nurture gratitude towards the earth, you can see a greater amount of care and sustainability, that understanding of interconnectedness. And hopefully this will be an understanding that will grow. I think it's starting to in, um, on our planet. That will start to understand the, un the interconnectedness and the gratitude and the desire to protect. So gratitude can be energizing. It can give us uh, energy that we can use for meditation. If we think of something that we're grateful for, we will usually find that our mind feels uplifted and energized and awakened. And perhaps the mind even feels lighter and more flexible and easier to concentrate. So gratitude brings a kind of happiness that um, energizes us for practice. It brings joy to life. William Blake said, gratefulness is heaven itself. Albert Einstein said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Gratefulness, uh, enjoying the miracle, the miracles in life. Gratitude also can teach us about contentment. It's a gentle happiness that teaches us to be content. With gratitude, we move from discontent and lack to recognizing and valuing all that we have. I like to think that it quiets our inner hungry ghost. For those of you who don't know, there's a, a Buddhist realm of, of, of existence where there are beings with uh, small mouths and very small throats and huge bellies, and they're perpetually hungry, wanting, wanting, wanting. And in some ways, we all have our little inner hungry ghost and gratitude that can satisfy the hungry ghost. It can fill that big belly. We can take in life's blessings and feel satisfied and content. So gratitude isn't just for the easy times. We can also appreciate life even when it's difficult. We can cultivate a mind that's open to gratitude under any conditions. One story that I love that really um, exemplifies this ability to feel gratitude um, is from uh, the book called My Grandfather's Blessings by Rachel Naomi Remen. 
She says, many years ago, I cared for a woman called May Thomas. May had grown up in Georgia, and while she had lived in Oakland, California for many years, she had in some profound way never left the holy ground of her childhood. She had worked hard all her life cleaning houses in order to raise seven children and more than a few grandchildren. By the time I met her, she had grown old and was riddled with cancer. May celebrated life. Her laugh was a pure joy. It made you remember how to laugh yourself. All these years later, just thinking of her makes me smile. As she became sicker, I began to call her every few days to check in on her. She would always answer the phone in the same way. I would say, May, how you doing? And she would chuckle and reply, I'm blessed, sister. I am blessed. The night before she died, I called, and her family had brought the phone to her. May, I said, it's Rachel. I could hear her coughing and clearing her throat, looking to find breath enough to speak in a lung filled with cancer, willing herself past a fog of morphine to connect to my voice. Tears stung my eyes. May, I said, it's Rachel. How you doing? There was a sound I could not identify, which slowly unwrapped itself into a deep chuckle. I'm blessed, Rachel. I am blessed, she told me. May was one of those people, and so perhaps are we all. It's inspiring to hear stories of people who can feel uh, gratitude, even under very challenging circumstances. So even in times of difficulty, we can cultivate gratitude, seeing what we receive and how we're blessed. I know that for myself, uh, Periods of illness have been um, great opportunities to develop wisdom, and for that I'm grateful. Each time I have some kind of health challenge, I kick and I scream and then I practice. And then I feel gratitude for, for what I learn. From our challenges, we learn deepening equanimity and letting go. And we really grow when we're challenged. It's an evolutionary thing, I think. If you look over the history of the human race, it seems that uh, leaps in, in evolutionary growth occurred under duress. Hopefully and we're, such a, we're in such a period at this time. <laughs> but also we can see it in our own lives that we grow, most of us, when we're challenged, when things aren't so favorable. So we can feel gratitude those challenges. We also can be grateful for, well, what are traditionally called our enemies, so that's a strong word. We can be grateful for those um, people who also challenge us and show us where we need to grow. Without uh, challenging people and obstacles, 
How would we be pushed to deeper wisdom and compassion? I'd like to read another story uh, about gratitude. This is from Byron Katie. I return home after a trip. I open the door and the house has been cleaned out. The burglars have taken my money, my jewelry, my t- the television, the stereo, my CD collection, appliances, computers. They've left just the furniture and some clothing. The house has a clean Zen look. I <laughs> love that line. <laughs> I go through the rooms and see that this possession is gone, that one is gone. There's no sense of loss or violation. On the contrary, I picture the recipients and feel what joy these items will bring them. Maybe they'll give the jewelry to their wives or lovers. Maybe they'll sell it at a pawn shop and feed their children with the proceeds. I am filled with gratitude. My gratitude comes from the obvious lack of need for each item. How do I know I don't need it? It's gone. Why is my life better without it? That's easy. My life is simpler now. The items now belong to the burglars. They obviously needed the items more than I did. That's how the universe works. I feel such joy for them, even as I fill out the police report. I find it odd that the way of the world is to try to retrieve what is no longer ours, and yet I understand it. Filling out the police report is also the way of it. She goes on for a while. So we can cultivate a heart that sees the world through the eyes of gratitude. Some people do a gratitude practice where they list every day a number of things that they're grateful for to train the mind to start thinking that way. I've heard in studies that it's proven to be better than antidepressants for lifting the mood. I've actually never done that practice. I think for me, I feel like gratitude has ripened as a um, quality through generosity, that um, paying attention to practicing generosity and seeing how when I give, um, I don't lose anything, that that the universe gives back, or that uh, the law of the universe is that it flows both ways, giving and receiving. So that's that's the way I've learned about uh, generous, uh, gratitude. And I think that we really, um, I feel like we learn the th- same things about life from gratitude as we do from generosity, that we're all interconnected and that letting go brings happiness. So traditionally, uh, when we talk about generosity, the Buddha talked about three different kinds of generosity. And the first kind of generosity is that we um, give, but there's a lot of me involved um, and maybe still some clinging. And the second kind of generosity, we start to feel the happiness of giving and there's an easier letting go and there's more of the acknowledgement of the flow between us and another person. 
And then in the third kind of generosity, uh, the sense of me isn't, isn't really there. It's just that want things in the universe go where um, they need to go. It's more like the dance of life, least amount of sense of I. And when I was thinking about these three kinds of generosity, I realized that, there's, that they really actually can correspond to three kinds of gratitude, so that our gratitude also is a quality that deepens over time. And so we could say that kind of the beginner gratitude, um, it's really about me receiving something. There's a strong sense of I receiving. And we may get attached to what we receive, or we may feel um, like it, we're special, so we reach, receive. There's, there's a strong sense of I involved. But it's still good because we're, we're starting to see. A second kind of uh, gratitude as gratitude, our understanding deepens, we start to see um, gratitude as giving and receiving. We start to see the interconnectedness, the flow. So we start to relax a little bit the rigid boundaries that separate us from others. We become more flexible. We feel less alienated. So the sense of me um, starts to relax a little bit. And in the third kind of gratitude, the deepest kind of gratitude, um, there's not so much a sense of me receiving as this is the dance of the universe and that things go where they they need to go. There's just that flow. There's not that strong sense of I. Last night, one of the women in, in the Sangha there, she told uh, the story. She said that she had just come through a period of uh, pretty um, strong illness, um, post-operative uh, recuperation for seven weeks. And uh, she's very much a person who gives a lot. And she said, you know, I spent seven weeks and um, it was just about receiving, you know, many people giving to me in so many ways, cleaning my house and food and taking care of me. And she said, you know, at a certain point, the eye just starts to dissolve. So she really just took on the practice of receiving and then started to notice that at a certain point it wasn't about her getting taken care of. It was just this, um, you could say, dance that everybody was doing together. And then the deepest gratitude also understands impermanence. It also understands that things change and that we can't hold on. Yesterday, since I was uh, giving the talk on gratitude, it was definitely on my mind. And at one point, my partner was coming in the house. He was carrying something into the house. And I saw him through the window. And I felt this um, deep gratitude for, for his presence in my life. And then uh, a few moments later, there was 
the acknowledgement, and it won't always be like that. So, um, the purest gratitude holds that. It holds the truth that things change. Challenging us to be grateful and appreciate and hold that truth. Another poem by Mary Oliver called At the Pond. It seems these days almost all her poems are about gratitude in some form or the other. One summer, I went every morning to the edge of a pond where a huddle of just-hatched geese geese would paddle to me and clamber up the marshy slope and over my body, peeping and staring. Such sweetness every day with which the grown ones watched, for whatever reason, serenely. Not there, however, but here is where the story begins. Nature has many mysteries, some of them severe. Five of the young geese grew heavy of chest and bold of wing, while the sixth waited and waited in its gauze feathers, its body that would not grow. And then it was fall. And this is what I think everything is about, the way I was glad for those five and two that flew away, and the way I hold in my heart the wingless one that had to stay. So you could say that there's a touch of compassion and gratitude, too, for holding um, the truth of this world, the truth of change, the truth of suffering. So yesterday, as I was thinking about gratitude, I was reading a... a newsletter from um, Amravati, the, the, um, the monastery, a newsletter called Fearless Mountain. Uh, and there was an issue that had things about gratitude in it. And there were a couple of Pali words, which are um, fun. One's katanyu. That's my best guess at how it's pronounced. Katanyu, one who knows what has been done for them, feels grateful. I looked these up in my Pali dictionary too. That was fun. And then there's another word called katawedi, and that's those who pay back the debt. So those that, you know, at first I was thinking about that word debt. Did it seem too heavy? But it's those who acknowledge uh, what they receive and then are moved to give back. And then there was a lot about putting these words together, katanyu, katawedi. Um, that feeling gratitude and then the wish to give back or pay the debt is how it was expressed in the newsletter. But maybe we can think of it as um, like paying it forward. <laughs> there was that movie a few years ago about some kid who was, um, started this whole thing about paying forward acts of kindness. It made me think of a time a number of years ago when I was um, 22 years old. I lived in Nicaragua for a year and a half. 
And for a large part of that time, I lived with a, with a friend of mine and her little baby and extended family. And during the time that I lived with her, a Nicaraguan woman, and during the time that I lived with her, they, they always gave me, um, they just gave and gave to me, just really openly and often gave the best to me. And um, that was a time in my life where I didn't, I didn't understand generosity and gratitude, so I felt like I really wasn't um, as generous with her as I could have been. I mean, I really had more resources than she did. Um, and that, that weighed on me for years. Every once in a while, I would remember that with a, a sense of deep regret. And so a number of years ago, I was teaching. And um, oh, in the meantime, she emigrated to, uh, to Canada, now lives in Canada with her grown children. And um, a number of years ago, I taught in Canada. And what I did was um, took some of the dana and gave it to her family as a gift. Wrote him a letter, wrote her a letter just telling her how I felt. And she wrote back, of course, oh, of course. She didn't feel any sense that I owed her anything um, because she was so generous. But I felt there was a relief from doing that. I felt like I had paid back a debt, even though she didn't uh, expect it. It was like it had to flow. There had to be a flow back for it to be... um, Free, free meaning um, not constrained. <laughs> and so what we start to understand with katanya um, katawedi is this, um, how we become a conduit for flow of energy in this world. So sometimes you, it's a, described like a garden hose with both ends open, the water can flow through. So you could think of the ends of, of receiving and giving, and that we let the water flow through. And if you block up either end, um, the water gets stagnant inside. So we want it to be fresh and move through. So if we stop giving or receiving, there can be a certain stagnation. So we see that we move naturally from, from gratitude to giving. We see that it can't just flow one way. That leads to a sense of miserliness and separation and unhappiness. I often spend, um, or some years I spend a January in Burma either practicing or occasionally teaching there. And um, uh, I've learned so much about uh, giving from that culture. It's been tremendously inspiring for me. And one thing that uh, related to gratitude is, is noticing how in Burma that people really celebrate giving. It's not... Um, uh, it's not hidden. It's definitely out in the open and celebrated. So I would notice that, for example, when I would want to give some dana to the monks, they would, they, you know, it's not like they wanted me to leave it over on the side. They would want me to come forward and they would want to chant with me about the merit of the, of the giving and, and sharing the merit. And um, 
really enjoying the giving. That's like the acknowledgement of the giving. It's kind of fun. I enjoyed it. And they, and they experience um, and show happiness when others give. They're really pleased when people give. They enjoy it. One time I really noticed this was um, uh, a few years ago when I was getting a bunch of uh, Buddha statues that I wanted to take back here to give as gifts to my Sangha. And also um, I wanted to buy a statue about this tall for uh, the meditation center over in the valley that didn't really have a Buddha yet, or, or a good Buddha. And so I went out, um, and I like Buddha shopping. It makes me very happy. And so I went out and bought all my little Buddha statues. I bought a bunch of like two or three inch high ones, like 20 of them to give out over there. And so I, I came back at lunchtime and I had my bags and my Buddhas. And um, there's six women who serve us at this monastery. And um, they wanted to see what I bought. They were very curious. So I think three or four of them came over and I was showing them the Buddhas. And I don't speak a lot of Burmese, and they don't speak a lot of English, but I wanted to tell them that the big statue was for the meditation center. So I pieced together something that was intelligible. I said, Donna, we both knew what Donna meant. I said, Donna, Yekta, Yekta means meditation center, America. So Donna, Yekta, America. And they kind of looked and they pointed at me, and I was like, yeah, yeah, Donna, Yekta, America. And they all spontaneously at the same time they put their hands together said sadhu 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 which means well done well done well done they all did it at the same time it was like just kind of um, natural to them I was like oh so they were celebrating the generosity they were appreciating it I learned so much from that So just a few more things, perhaps, about um, increasing gratitude in our lives. So one way, as I said, is um, some people just make it a practice every day to think of things that they're grateful for. And obviously, the list can be infinite. I mean, there's so many things. We could never run out. Sometimes another way is when we receive something to contemplate the, the web, the extended web that brought it to us. I do this sometimes with lunch or a plate of food. Um, got this from Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, just looking at a plate of food and contemplating all the causes and conditions that came together to bring that plate of food to us. And and to contemplate how the whole universe is supporting my existence by eating that plate of food. So we can consciously contemplate the, the um, interconnectedness and the web that, that brings uh, things our way. We can also practice just seeing the Beautiful in the um, in the ordinary. You 
in um, a poem by Hafiz called uh, Someone Untied Your Camera. Your camera. <laughs> Your camel. They didn't have cameras. <laughs> Hafiz was from a while ago. Uh, one line says, Is your caravan lost? It is if you no longer weep from gratitude or happiness or weep from being cut deep with the awareness of the extraordinary beauty that emanates from the most simple act and common object. My dear, is your caravan lost? So cultivating gratitude through that ability to appreciate the ordinary and the everyday, the beauty, This morning, waking up early. Well, it wasn't so early. It wasn't early for yogi time. Uh, but watching the light on the, um, the early light and the kind of the gray light in the trees. And not what we would classically call beautiful, but it was very beautiful. The um, contrast. Just the beauty and and leafless trees against the, the ground and the background, the sky. Another way to, to cultivate gratitude is just to set the intention. The Buddha, um, whenever he talked about uh, developing any kind of particular quality, he always mentioned um, setting the intention or um, aspiring to that quality is one way to develop it. I've just um, finishing teaching a class on the seven factors of enlightenment um, in our in our little meditation center. And each one that we look at the list of proximate causes, and each one is always, you know, setting the intention to develop this quality. And then each one also, approximate causes paying careful attention. So setting the intention to develop gratitude, and then paying careful attention to what happens. I really find it's just a mind shift, uh, a way of shifting our mind. Um, it's great for versive types. If the, if most of you know about the personality types in um, Buddhism. So those of us who um, tend to easily see the problems and what's not running so well, it's a great practice, just shifting the mind. Today I was out walking um, in the woods, and there's two different ways it could have been looked at today. It could have been looked at it's cold, it's rainy, it's windy, it's unpleasant. That would be one way. And then the other way is it's beautiful out. There's the freshness of the wind and, and um, the, the brisk air and... Uh, the beautiful rain that at times turned to snow. So I chose to think of it as the second way. So we can uh, cultivate um, the ability to see through eyes of appreciation. So I want to end with a story of um, giving and receiving. This is from Pablo Neruda. And it's a story from his childhood of a gift that he received that inspired him for decades and inspired his poetry. 
that in, in turn inspired so many people. He was a Chilean poet, that a, a poet of the people who um, also uh, was somewhat political, got a little, got in a little trouble for that. So he says, one time, investigating in the backyard of our house in Temuco, the tiny objects and minuscule beings of my world, I came upon a hole in one of the boards of the fence. I looked through the hole and saw a landscape like that behind our house, uncared for and wild. I moved back a few steps because I sensed vaguely that something was about to happen. All of a sudden, a hand appeared, a tiny hand of a boy about my own age. By the time I came close again, the hand was gone, and in its place was a marvelous white sheep. The sheep's wool was faded. Its wheels had escaped. All of this only made it more authentic. I had never seen such a wonderful sheep. I looked back through the hole, but the boy had disappeared. I went into the house and brought out a treasure of my own, a pine cone, opened full of odor and resin, which I adored. I set it down in the same spot and went off with the sheep. I never saw either the hand or the boy again, and I have never again seen a sheep like that either. The toy I lost finally in a fire. But even now, at almost 50 years old, whenever I pass a toy shop, I look furtively into the window, but it's no use. They don't make sheep like that anymore. That exchange brought home to me for the first time a precious idea that all of humanity is somehow together. That experience came to me again much later. This time it stood out strikingly against a background of trouble and persecution. It won't surprise you then that I attempted to give something resiny, earth-like, and fragrant in exchange for human brotherhood. Just as I once left the pine cone by the fence, I have since left my words on the door of so many people who were unknown to me, people in prison or hunted or alone. This is a great lesson I learned in my childhood in the backyard of a lonely house. Maybe it was nothing but a game two boys played who didn't know each other and wanted to pass to the others some good things in life. Yet maybe this small and mysterious exchange of gifts remained inside me also, deep and indestructible, giving my poetry light. That's it for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.